Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Uddang dhammang sanghang namasami The nature of our experience is, is embodied. This is something to be recognized and remembered. Um, not because it's a particular <coughs> ideological um, statement, thou shalt be embodied, but to <coughs> recognize that that's what's happened. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, even though that's obviously what's happened, you know, we were conceived, gestated, and born. Uh, we we lose that. We lose we lose track of that. We become disembodied. That is, uh, as probably we might recognise, it can take quite a bit of practice to actually get awareness of a, of one's own body. There's a huge current vortex takes us out future, the past, thoughts, memories, worries, joys, alternatives, strategies, plans how to get into the body, thinking about how to get into the body, um, devising ways and means of doing so, uh, and so on. So a huge effect of being being out there. And... um, it's very it, for this very uncomfortable experience, very kind of lost experience when it's scrambling round. We remember a lot, we fear a lot, we can create a lot, and so you know this particular activity of the thinking or dis- consciousness when it's disembodied. It's disembodied uh, means that the, the actual Relationship with embodiment has been impaired, gets impaired. And part of this is just the process, socialization process, uh, whereby we are encouraged to think a lot, read a lot, see a lot, conceive a lot. Um, much of our learning, what we call learning, is actually second hand learning. We learn about Africa, China. Egyptian pottery. You know, we learn about. We see it on the telly. We see it on a computer. We read it in a book. We know all about places that we never visited. We know all about people we don't. We never knew. You know, Abraham Lincoln, Well, Bill Hickok, Billy the Kid, whatever. You know, we know all about these people. Uh, we know about people who never existed. Superman, <coughs> Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and uh, so we know a lot about uh, and so this particular kind of second-hand or abstract conceiving learning and that becomes very important to develop that faculty so that we can talk about um, and learn about and think about uh, so we're handling huge amounts of second-hand or abstracted information and our ability to succeed in life can hinge upon how well we can do that. And in thinking about and learning about, you don't have to feel it. You don't have to feel what it's like to be Egyptian or Abraham Lincoln or whatever because you, you, you don't have to empathize with it. You can think about it. So you can handle a huge amount of material in a way which you're not connected to. So it's sort of safe in a way. It's disconnected. And this becomes our 
huge way in which we, we feel, we sense the world through that. Uh, it's not that one is completely unfeeling, but certainly, you know, watching um, people get shot up on a TV is not the same as getting shot up or, um, or being there in a, in a place where it is violent. You may get, certainly get some shock effects. The more that you see this happening on a TV screen, or eventually, you know, it becomes, you know, more decoration. So, you know, when you've got a colour TV, you can adjust, the blood doesn't seem to be the right colour, adjust the contrast, you know, get the tone up. <laughs> so, you know, all this is not affecting me, you know. So, you, this, this, uh, so we can handle huge amounts of, of, of material that if we were really there with it, would be painful, disastrous, difficult, overwhelming. Mm. And we can also handle material that is purely conceptual. You know, geometry, math, algebra, various philosophical things of this nature. So it's very highly charged um, way of, of abstraction. And then we, we begin to live in accordance with that. You know, what you know, we, we think about ourselves, about how we fit in with certain principles or values or notions. What's a successful person? What's a, you know, a likable, successful? You know. uh, so this again is pretty notional really. These are, these are conceptual topics, conceptual references. And we may find, we looking for, we read about people who are successful or happy, you read about it, or, you know, people who get a lot of praise, and then that's the model. So how do you get to be like that? And this is all second-hand, isn't it? And then one begins to think about others and think about oneself. I can think about you. And then I can think about myself. What does that mean? You know, when I think about you. And maybe I start, you know, I first of all I derive certain characteristics from you, you know, Things I see or remember, and pick those up, take them out of out of the dynamic, of, out of the context when they're occurring. Just kind of freeze dry them. Mm-hmm. This is his humour. This is his um, his boredom or his exasperation. You kind of distill these, and then I can think about them. What don't you know? Form patterns of this person, and this is. Um, something we we take it out of the actual context, so thinking does that. It takes you out of context and forms abstract generalizations. And then we think about ourselves in a similar way, you know, as if you know one is some kind of permanent generalized experience. I don't think about myself, I don't sense myself being irritated by something, you know, by the car breaking down, you know, and how that affects me, the disappointment. I may think I am an irritable person. You kind of take it out of a context and make it into an overall statement. And then thinking about it, we think, I I have anger. You, know, you distill it again. I am someone who has anger, and then you know, anger, according to the social model, not acceptable experience. How do I get rid of anger? So we've taken in this analytical way. We've kind of chopped and chopped and chopped away from an actual contextual event 
into these abstract qualities which we can then measure against other abstract qualities of what a person should be or I should be or shouldn't be and all this stuff goes on and it's a very um, an analysis is a very chopping kind of experience mm. so what do you think about yourself can you think about yourself what happens when that question comes up when you think about yourself you know what comes into well, I suppose try best I can good natured generally a few rough edges here and there mm. you know uh, but then saying well what do you feel now different isn't it? different way of, of experiencing what do you feel now How's, how are you with yourself now how are you how is it for you And then some of the generalizations and the abstractions and the hard edges begin to dissolve. Actually, I I really don't know who I am or what I am. Right now it feels like this. Mm -hmm. And it's changing all the time. And I guess that's pretty much the same for you. So that more or less, you know, kind of puts aside a lot of Identity experiences, doesn't it? So what I could say about you and me is it's changing all the time and it feels like this. <laughs> That's not exceptionally clear. You, know, you can't create very distinct, clear um, abstractions from that. It's a pretty blurred thing. But actually as a way of, of intimately relating to what you're experiencing, then it's, it's right on, spot on. You can fill in the details. So if one is looking for harmony or realization or release or awakening, we want to stop thinking about ourselves and just feel how it is right now. So this is what it's like to be embodied, is to be able to feel how it is right now. And when we get the whole sense of that, if we sense that fully, we can recognize a particular um, bodily tone. We may feel vigorous, bright, dull. There's a particular quality of energy present. There's an energetic component there. You feel bubbly or flat. That's that's a bodily thing. It's an energetic thing. We may feel particular sensations and certain bodily re- uh, reactions to that tension, uh, cramping, and so forth. And then on top of that, we have certain emotional or emotive um, patterns. One is feeling some, some just some agitation, some calm, some enjoyment, some resistances. So you get these, this is this kind of two layers of it. And then we may find that around that and around how, how we are with that, how that's all held, then you, you, you can sense the um, a quality that tries to organize it all, which is the mind, the mental aspect, or you know, the, the conceptual aspect. So, you know, I'm all right, I'm not all right. Uh, I could do this and it would be all right. This shouldn't be happening. This isn't happening. I want that to happen. So you get this kind of occurring on top of all that. These different layers of experience. And the outer layer of it is the thing that's trying to hold it all into shape that would be what it should be. Saying this isn't right, that isn't right. A bit more of this, this you know, it's doing that all the time. So you get this kind of activity occurring and all these are, are 
you know, sitting on top of each other. When it gets very difficult, when we can't form, when we can't hold this whole experience here, then the conceptual stuff takes off altogether. It says, I don't want to be here. This is, I can't make sense of this. I don't, I'm not with this. I can't, you know, I can't be with this. I can't bear with this. Or I don't want to bear with this. Let's think about something else. It goes off. You know, so that you get to certain places, your you, conceptual function just takes over and we're off. We're off in tomorrow, we're off in yesterday, we're off at the movies, we're off, we're just off, out. You know. And there's this kind of throb going on down there somewhere, but don't bother me with that, I'm out of here. <laughs> and and the, with that, we don't really... Um, deal with, you know, or, or relate to, or learn in the proper way. We don't learn to, to handle and awaken to and harmonize and clear, purify this very embodied experience. This, the, this multi-layered experience of the, the, the bodily sense the somatic sense, the emotive sense, and then, the, if you like, something that's trying to hold it all together, and, and all that, which is the the paradigm of being born. You know, that's what happened when we were born. We were born into all this, and um, if we don't kind of find harmony or release or awaken within that, then what happens is we we don't solve the riddle, and we get born again, and again, and again, and again. And it goes on. And the aim of, this is why the aim of practice is, is to the stopping of birth. It sounds kind of nihilistic, but it's something that occurs because one, one has learnt. You know, we don't need to do this again. It's not, you know, whether birth is or isn't a good thing is not up for us to say, you know. Certainly, the you know, there's a good amount of struggle involved with that. But this is not so much an ideological statement; it's just the fact that if if this is resolved, then it um, one has learnt the the learning has has been completed, and in this very life, there can be an ending of that conundrum of birth, the the confusion around it, and the seeking for something to get born into and the agitation and the resistance to what one has been born into and all of that inability to form an accurate whole out of all this so we keep spinning off and finding in the spin-off however delicious those spin-offs can be there is something um, insubstantial um, unfulfilling, um, something that, that does not complete us. It's, we're, we're skidding off. Now, to um, cultivating embodiment is not a matter of even thinking what that is about. You know, we've got to, in a way, learn from the body itself so there's a requirement to have a kind of innocence about this if we even apply too many um, abstract notions to this then we can be approaching embodiment from a certain angle or agenda will embodiment make me wise it depends what you mean by wisdom Will it make me enlightened? Depends what you mean by enlightenment. You know. So that if we approach it, even with these terms which have their value and their validity, we're coming from it like, my head says, I want this to happen. Okay, body, I want this to happen, so I'm going to, get, I'm going to be with you so you'll make it happen. You know, or I'll get something out of this. So we've already approached the body from a head's perspective, from a conceptual perspective. And... Um, 
rather than approaching from mindfulness, the body in the body, the body with reference to the body, or this way that the Buddha referred to it. Now, how does the body experience itself? There's a certain kind of openness and innocence about that. Which, from the head's point of view, is a, is a little bit upsetting because it's not that specific. It's not that, you know, doesn't give us particular razor-sharp certainties. We, we enter into something that's um, sometimes amorphous, changing, um, a very effective... If we're affected, we're being affected, it comes and goes a lot. Um, and it happens, and the more we participate in it, the more we feel it's just happening to us. When we, in fact, we are the happening. It's not something that we can um, deduce things from apart from this change. And there is pain, and there is the absence of pain. And there are these simple realities to be experienced as arising and subsiding. There are certain um, distractions and, and dissonances. There's, there's, there's grasping and releasing. Really kind of the, these and these are the material of awakening. These are the felt learnings of awakening. You feel them. <coughs> you don't enter with an idea of making it happen. You, you feel the body in the body, and as your feeling becomes more in line with how it is, then the various forms of um, greed, aversion, conceit, pride, um, withdrawal, all those begin to fade out because we're more interested in just being accurately with what it is, with what is, rather than adding these desires or uh, ambitions to to the mix. And with that, certain um, issues and questions become irrelevant because they're head issues, you know, such as how long. That's a, that's a head concept. Body doesn't know how long. That's not a body reference. Um, you know, want to make this happen. That's not a bodily event. That's a head experience. Good and bad. These are these are head terms. Even, you know, how do you do it? And that's, that's another, you know, that's coming from a position outside, isn't it? Like driving a car. It's as if the body is something else, that I am this and the body is that, now how do I do it? So we, we end, as we enter into, into embodiment, then some of these... Um, Ideas and the problems they, they evoke, um, success, failure, good, bad, um, begin to become irrelevant. We can know um, suffering and not suffering. We can know stress and not stress. We can know presence and we can know absence. We can know uh, pain, anger, fear. We can know these felt experiences and we can know where they end. And we can know the release from those. And knowledge is a more direct um, apprehension than conceptual. And this is uh, immensely important because um, many of the experiences that come to us are easy to form um, conceptual models of and form judgments about. So the emotional patterns... Uh, things that we can form judgments about. And so when we are learning about sense of, of irritation or resistance, um, sadness or joy, instead of adding these, these judgments about whether they're good or right or proper, we're just trying to feel them, feel how they affect us. Um, and for this, you, it's like generating enough embodiment to really sense the whole feeling of that. How, how it feels for us. <clears throat> so this is a very useful way of um, handling certain emotional, uh, emotional currents. Body produces emotion. 
all of this comes out of a particular um, consciousness that's hardwired with nerves. So and those nerves, those nerve endings, the nervous uh, channels are wired up. And um, you know, the, the nerves that come from the, the um, organs, whatever organ it is, or the hands, or the eyes, or even the ears, they're all the same. They may be different in length, but they're, they're basically the same things. The consciousness that travels in that is just sensitivity, effect, you know, resonance, ripple, vibration. And then is it, is it, and it's interpreted, isn't it, into this is a sight, this is a sound, this is a feeling. Mm. And those interpretations are where the emotional um, um, colouring gets added to that. And it's all kind of wound up with it. And that's all produced. It's all generated through this consciousness, which is an embodied experience. Yeah. So we will actually know this, feel it. Feel the joy in the joy. Feel the pain in the pain. Feel it as it is. And in that, finding if we generate the kind of quality of, of space and empathy, um, these things shift. Things that, where things were blocked, they start to shift. How much suffering is generated through the idea of something shouldn't be happening, that is happening. And what something one is feeling that one shouldn't be feeling. How much um, stress and sense of dissonance is generated through I'm not having something I should have. I'm not getting the bit that I should have. Everybody else has got this bit, but I haven't got it. How much stress and suffering is caused through that. And, you know, what does that? This is, this is abstraction. And the source of abstraction is itself the inability or the unwillingness or sometimes just the lack of resource to actually handle an experience that we are having, which may be one of loss or withdrawal or, or various kinds of shock and fear that get implanted into the, into the bodily sense. And you notice this more, the more that you dwell in the body, like if you, as you've been practicing, practicing here, and then, you know, you come to, uh, say, myself, coming from, you know, meditation place, and you come out into situations where everything is kind of flashing and firing and, and jarring and jumping, uh, and people are moving very fast, and people are throwing words at each other, and you feel quite battered by it all. The sense of, wow, it's really, this is like, this is like artillery, you know. Stuff is really kind of zonk, 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 zonk. And nobody's listening to anybody. You know. People are just throwing things around. And nobody's listening to anybody. And you, you get this sense in which you start to feel the quality of dissociation. It's not safe here. Stuff is just being thrown around. It's got quite powerful effects, quite powerful impact, and nobody's in charge of it. And uh, people are not listening. There's not the sense of, of care or empathy. This is not a safe place to be. So the, there's a sense of withdrawal, and you can, you know, I can sense it happening, like the body goes, oh, just, just, just shut down a little bit. 
where you find yourself closing a little, holding protectively. And this is even when it's not directly malicious, just the sense of, of wild, um, uncaring contact. Contact that's not aimed, not chosen, not negotiated, not what do you feel like, but whammo, there you go. <laughs> you know, and this is perhaps happening uh, as, a, as a standard. Contact that's not um, aimed at one's welfare, contact that's not chosen or negotiated or, you know, would you like this, would this be good, but it's just thrown and it's there to make you move. And so something when you sense is, hey, this is, not, this is not a safe place to be. And so one starts to shut, shut down. And then you begin to recognize, maybe this is why nobody looks at anybody anymore really looks, you know, there's a lot of people shut here, shut down here. So nobody looks you in the eyes anymore. People say, you know, the the learnt gestures of benevolence and politeness, um, which they've said 4,000 times a day. (laughs) And... You know, that's even weirder, isn't it? I find that even weirder. Yeah. Because, uh, you think, I mean, you're starting to actually produce emotion as, as an abstract thing. Uh, have a nice day. Nice to see you. Pleasure traveling with you. It's not been a pleasure traveling with you. You never looked at me once. How could it be a pleasure traveling with me? You don't even know who I am. <laughs> Pilot, pilot on the plane says, it's been a real pleasure traveling with you. How do you know? <laughs> you have come out and seen me and had a chat. We might have been pleasant, but it's neither been pleasant. It's, it's not been there. You know? so you think, well, what are people saying? Why, why does he have to lie? Why couldn't he say, it's been a real drag for me. <laughs> Stuck behind this, this steering wheel, this plane. It's been a real drag for me. I think, well, good for you, buddy. <laughs> and I'd say, you know, it's been really boring for me sitting here in this cramped little chair. And you feel some sense of empathy there. <laughs> Instead of him saying what a pleasure it's been, and me saying thank you very much. <laughs> you know, you'd feel it a lot more settled, if people could just express a little bit of their, their sadness even. You know? feel a little more, oh, I'm here. But when people are saying these strange, obviously, obviously dishonest or, or, or um, disconnected <coughs> statements, you're thinking, well, what planet I'm on? You know? Is anybody here? Am I here? Yeah. And this is the disembodied um, mode of operation, and there are, you know, obvious reasons, quasi reasons for that. We can. Consider. But the problem is that when one starts relating to oneself in this, in that way, in a disembodied, abstract way, as I've said, and even meditating like that. Sitting here, looking down, this is a feeling, this is a thought, coming, going, you know. It's impermanent, it's not self. (laughs) Have a nice day. (laughs) May you be well, may you be happy, may you be free from suffering. (laughs) Calm down there, may you concentrate, more effort is needed. You know, who's talking to who? And is anybody listening up there? (laughs) And if he's not listening, is he on my side? (laughs) Can I trust this this meditating person? Are they really on my side? Or are they just going to tell me what I should be? What I'm supposed to be? And uh, what I want, you know, and all this. Are they just going to do that to me? Another one of those. Now I've got it built in, and I call it, I've called it spiritual. So 
I've given it even more license over me than I did um, to the to all the others who told me what I should be. And the abstracted sense, you know, you can get a tremendous amount of, of effort around that and one-pointedness because it doesn't, you know, you, you, because it, it's not listening. So it doesn't have to kind of feel out and adjust, it just go, you know, go for it. And that's the story of, uh, of, co- of our culture, isn't it? You know, don't feel it, don't sense it, just go for it. So, you know, you get the the land and the earth. Don't feel it, don't sense it, just get what you can out of it. Um, destroy, grab, make, break, build, blow up, you know. Don't sense it, don't feel it, just do it. And do it with one-pointed termination. And, you know, unlicensed um, power and energy to do it, you know. Don't sense it, don't feel it, don't empathize with it. Just do it. And, you know, a kind of a feverish uh, success with all that. And a a kind of sense of achievement that comes with all that. And I guess this is what power is about, isn't it? You know, the kind kind of um, glow that can come from one's, that ability for the abstracted mind to direct tremendous unfeeling will and act upon it and get and produce results. Hey, look what I can do. You know. Look what we did. You know. Not to say that these things don't have any benefits, but there's a cost there, isn't there? Our um, lack of feeling that we, that we are here, we belong here, that anything cares for us that the world cares for us, that the earth cares for us, that we even care for each other. Um, which is the strange paradigm of, of, a, of a society which can seem in many ways so really successful and skillful and learned and cultivated. You know, so many resources, so many wonderful things, and yet, but do, does this, do we actually, can we actually care for each other? You know, little ones and twos, but as a, as a general thing, streets are filled with fear and anxiety, and worry, and you get dumped, and you get you know the sack when you lose your job, when you run out of money. You know who's going to look after you? You know, well, you know, if you haven't got a friend to look after you, you're in big trouble. <laughs> you get the sense that you know the the corporate society is not going to do it. And so people can feel really alone and lonely in towns of you know, hundreds of thousands of humans who they don't feel connected to and, and can't expect to get a sense of easy empathy with. I mean, this is perhaps stark, but I mean, that, that you know, there, there's a severe limitation on the quality of trust and empathy in the social realm. Um, fear. Um, so this is what this this is what can be achieved. This is this is the good, the bad, and the ugly from the, the disembodied mind. We look at it just intimately, personally. Yeah. The kind of, of damage that's done to to the body and to the emotions through not being with them, through having ideas about them, through just having willpower placed on top of them, forcing ourselves into this or into that, trying to make ourselves be this or that, trying to stop ourselves being this or that, worrying if we're this or that, you know, all this sense of always looking on, thinking about rather than getting into it, feeling it out from the inside, how is it? How would it be just to be with this and let it see what it wants to do or what happens with that? And this is where, you know, in, in, where we can start to enter into this through mindfulness.
there are certain organizing structures, or call them structures, but they're not physical structures there, if you like, consciousness structures or energetic structures. Um, they are, if you like, put it another way, the particular um, ways in which um, our consciousness organizes experience, uh, particular sets of references, the way that we organize experience, called sankharas. So experience arises through contact. The contact is one, one reference, one structure, that uh, through which things are experienced. We experience them through contacting them. Contact means more than just you know, actually touching or seeing. It means there's a certain, vib- certain impression occurs there, a certain kind of hit occurs there. And that, that's passa, that's the contact impression. Something contacts and then there is a, a charge you know, sense of resonance occurs. And so that's an important um, structure, that particular little piece of it. We organize things around that, what kind of effect is happening here, what's the, what's the impression that arises here. Then I can, I can know something through that, mm-hmm. it's pleasant or unpleasant. Um, another one is volition. Another sankara is volition, which means my choosing, my willing. What do I will towards? What do I incline towards? What do I incline away from? And that particular um, organizing thing, you know, which, which very much shapes how we go, where we go, mentally, psychologically, so on. And naturally, that's associated with contact, isn't it? You get something that feels good, then oh, volition moves towards that. Let's go for that. Something that feels unpleasant, withdraw from that. So you get those two meet each other. Third is called attention, which means something is brought up, something is brought to the fore. So, for example, in you know situation here, there's this consciousness is offering through sight, sound, touch, um, olfactory so on, the six bases. But it doesn't pick up in any moment. Attention doesn't say, here's the whole lot. It says, oh, that's an interesting thing to see. You know, pick that one up. Look at that woman's hat. You know, book. Picks up not just um, you know, one particular feel, but even a little detail. And it says, this is the bit. This is the bit to attend to. Go there. Go there. And linger. Hold that something in it for you. So that shapes our experience, doesn't it? And then for whatever we attend to, a certain contact impression arises. That contact impression says, this is nice, let's go for more of that. This is interesting, this is necessary, um, this is, um, has a certain good quality to it. So, so you get contact, intention, attention, they all play together. And those are the things that are bringing to mind, uh, leading our experience. They're the leading edge of our experience. This happens externally and also internally. <coughs> you know, so when that's not happening through visual contact, things are coming up into what we call the mind. And we don't remember everything you know, ever happened. Suddenly, you know, something comes up. Oh, I remember this. Um, oh, I'm concerned about that. Uh, and there's a particular charge around that. And we're moved by that. We are, um, you know, something is alive for us there. And that's what's happening. And then on top of that, you know, we get certain mental interpretations. Like, oh, you shouldn't be thinking about that. You know? Don't think about that. You know? you know, so you get another set of mental interpretations on top of all that. Now, when we enter into the embodiment experience, these, these three 
functions, these three structures, are changed. They're different from um, the conceptual way of experiencing things. For example, uh, contact for a body means I contact it, it contacts me. So when I touch the bell, the bell touches me. I'm affected, I'm involved. When I think something, I can think about blowing up Egypt. You know, so, you know, and then there's a certain, there's a distance there, isn't there? When I see something, again, I'm looking, it's something happening out there, it's not happening to me, it's something happening out there. Sense of distance around that. When I touch something in the body, it's immediately involving me. So when we, contact there is much more sensitive, much more attuned, much more awake, much more responsive than any other form of contact. This is significant because it affects the others. Our quality of attention um, is around, you know, what we what we contact, and in a bodily sense, that means that which is um, sustainable, that which is, uh, you know, in some way, one can hold, one can be with, because one's involved with it. And volition is that which you can fully embody. So it's a sense in which bodily volition means that you're you're fully present with something. All of you is present with it. Um, And you take, in a way, you participate in what you you experience. Like if your volition says jump into the swimming pool, your body goes into that pool and it's totally in it, isn't it? You you know, which which means you're completely committed you're completely involved, you're going to be completely affected by it. This makes your volition is a little more cautious <laughs> around bodily action. Yeah. It's, a little, it's a little more attuned, it's a little more uh, receptive and, and um, intelligent yeah. than around any other sense base. Because you're completely, if you volition in the bodily sense means you are completely involved with that. And the body knows um, this is going to, you know, this is, there are certain things that we need to know for a body. Is this safe? Is this dangerous? Is this nourishing? If it's not safe, not nourishing, it's, we don't do it in a bodily sense. Unless you apply a particular quality of willpower, you know, override the body's systems and force it to do things. Mm which we can do. But just attuning to what the body volition wants to do, and what feels okay, is a way of, of learning to find balance, to find a real sense of what's appropriate, both in terms of bodily action, but also to checking out the quality of volition itself, the quality of impulse itself, the quality of choice-making itself. Is choice-making something that's done in a kind of sensitive, empathic way, or is it just something that's reckless, disembodied, doesn't recognize cause and effect, doesn't realize that, uh, that one's going to be involved with that. So certain things can be um, changed and learned but in terms of how we intend and how we make contact. It's a bodily experience, it's a participation experience. And when we come to meditating, actually participating in bodily life, and, med- and, and doing that, uh, how do we meditate? So if we meditate with an idea of what we could be or should be or would be, then we're already losing contact losing direct contact. The body doesn't work like that. 
embodiment doesn't work like that. It's, it's more pro- a question of feeling into and feeling out the full potential and unfolding that, you know, letting, letting that unfold. So we, we can sit in the body, feeling it out, sensing it out. And attuning to that. So then, you know, what occurs or what comes forth is is just a natural unfolding of of of, of potential, and the process of full realization can occur through that. That's a very different process from having an idea about it, and then trying to make that idea into a reality through, you know, putting it onto the bodily experience, which is more where we get a sense of the volition or the will is not properly adjusted to to bodily life. This is quite important in meditation, crucially important. in remembering is in my own experience developing or practicing mindfulness of breathing. Once I learned about, you know, how I should, where I should feel that and the particular experiences that should be happening, mindfulness of breathing became an extremely painful experience. I'd never, breathing used to be quite easy, um, okay thing to do. Uh, but then various, you know, the ideas of, of mindfulness or concentration or one-pointedness and this, that and the other, which are, are real experiences. But when they are introduced as imperatives rather than as things that occur, one comes in from the head trying to place that onto the breathing process. And the body doesn't like that. It already feels in a state of Somebody's handling me, you know. Something's trying to make something out of me. Who is it, you know? It's that meditator again. (laughs) (laughs) The one who told me what I should be and what I wasn't, you know. So that starts to contract. Once the body experiences shock, what occurs is that the breathing begins to constrict. You know, the bodily energy starts to tighten up. It's a defense system. So you think, hmm... Well, I just have to push in there a bit harder. You know, not enough effort is being applied. You apply some effort, and then find, strange enough, you keep daydreaming, spinning out, wandering off, um, getting into attitudes, and the whole mental um, and kind of ideological stands about meditation, and and so the, the something which was originally quite an innocent experience sitting, breathing in and out, becomes a very intense um, experience with a lot of judgment and a lot of ideology in it. What's the right way? What's the right system? Which bit of the breath? Um, Are you experiencing these knowledges? Are you getting this particular state? So all this stuff coming from the head starts to have an effect on on the bodily sensitivity it's like somebody's now doing something to me with what the body feels. And with that, the body starts to withdraw. It recognizes, hey, we're in this strange dissociated territory again where nobody's on my side. Nobody's listening to me. People are just saying polite things that don't, they're not actually looking at me. Um, you know, it's the same story again, isn't it? It's been a pleasure riding with you. Uh, may you be well, may you be happy. All this, those, it's, it's, that, it's that again, you know. Um, <laughs> and so you get a sense in which there's this quality of withdrawal. You know, and, and um, um, you know, occurring. And it has a very powerful effect. You start to numb out. The body goes, begins to become numb. 
something wrong with me. Going numb, something wrong with me. Maybe I, you know, and so the whole thing, you know, we add more and more strategies to that. And all the time we're overriding a system which is quite instinctive, which is the system is, if this is not safe for me, if this is not empathic, the body says, I'm going to, I'm out of here. I'm going to contract because I need to protect myself. It starts, it does that automatically. You you can't override that. It just starts to withdraw from contact. And so the more, no matter what um, strategies or what cajoling or what attitudes one places upon it, you still get the same effect of withdrawing from awareness. Because awareness is a, it becomes a hostile act, you know, or a dissociated act, or a judgmental act, or a performance act. Now come and do this, you know, like they, your like your experience has to go in certain ways. So it's rather like being a circus animal. And so the the instinctive somatic energies just start to withdraw. And then mindfulness of body, mindfulness of breathing becomes really um, difficult and um, intense activity. Walking becomes an intense, difficult activity. And in a way we kind of even value it. I'm having intensive practice now. You know, so that you know, walking, which is actually quite a relaxing experience, becomes something whereby one gets a kind of whole tension about it, and it's rather you know as if one is up in one's head, and there's a body down there, and that's what we imagine mindfulness is about, rather than you know, the body. How do we know we have a body? What does it feel like? What is it doing now? Just interested. Trying to receive it. Trying to open to that. Rather than direct it, make it into something. Make it conform to certain patterns. Make it come up with certain insights or certain qualities. Which is all head down. From the head down. But walking, or sitting, or breathing, or standing from the body up, you know, being prepared to be with some of its shakiness or its twinginess or its resonances or its feelings. Just okay, you know, this this is this is where I am. This is what this body's about. Now, can I open to that? And by creating a certain openness of attitude, bring around or let the kind of quality of empathy arise, and the body feels that senses that, and we start to get subtle shifts begin to occur. You find that, you know, standing is okay when one isn't resisting it. We're just letting the senses, sensations be there. Breathing is okay when one isn't trying to make it happen. And in that quality of okayness, there's a sense of relief. The mind relaxes rests, and we find joy and collectedness occurring. It happens. These processes, enlightenment, awakening, liberation, happens. We don't make it happen, it happens when we enter fully into our experience and start to acknowledge and let go of dissociative strategies that are trying to make us have an experience rather than be an experience. 